recounts the first time in Jesus' ministry that he started getting into trouble with the religious powers that be. Jesus got into trouble because he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath on Saturday. And then he told the man to pick up the mat that he'd been lying on and to carry it home. But God's law in the Old Testament forbade working on the Sabbath. After all, Genesis 1 describes God as creating the universe in six days and then resting on the seventh day. And so God made the seventh day holy and then commanded humanity to rest on the Sabbath too. And for the Jews at the time of Jesus, resting on the Sabbath had become a badge and a symbol of what it meant to be God's people. After all, all the other nations worked on the Sabbath, but not God's chosen people. They rested because they obeyed God. And yet, here comes Jesus, and verse 16 says, Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath. What things? Well, for sure, healing this paralyzed man and telling this man to carry his mat home. But because John says these things plural, it's possible Jesus was doing other things like this as well. That Jesus was working on the Sabbath by healing people on the Sabbath. Doesn't Jesus obey God's law? Isn't he a good Jew, a member of God's chosen people, the people that God has set apart as God's own to worship God, to honor God by observing God's Sabbath day, resting on the seventh day like God did? That's what Jesus' contemporaries wanted to know. Doesn't Jesus obey these things? Because you see, their perspective was that our job is to obey God. And among the ways we obey God is that we rest on the Sabbath. But Jesus comes along and says, amazing things are happening here. I see God doing amazing things, and I'm going to join in on them too, even if they're happening on the Sabbath. Is that your perspective? Too often it's not mine. Too often my perspective is, I've got six days to work like crazy, to run around like mad, and get everything done that I need to do. And then, one day a week, I can focus on God. I actually do take a Sabbath. I I believe every follower of Jesus should because it's God's will for us to take a day to rest and to honor him. It helps us to overcome the idolatry of work, to, to remember that we're not God. And that for 24 hours, we can take our hands off the steering wheel of the universe And trust that God has everything under control. Thank you very much. God can steer the ship without our help. I mean, if I can't even trust God with my life and with this world for 24 hours, how much do I really trust him at all? So I take a Sabbath. But but what about the other six days? Well, too often I can fall into the trap of thinking, well, I gave God his day, and now I've got a ton of things to get done. I know I'm, I'm a pastor, and so you'd think every day for me is about God's work, and often it is, but too often I can forget that what I'm doing, I'm doing for God and with God, and, and so what's on my plate when I forget can, can become just another to-do list item of what I've got to do, of, of what I've got to power through to clear my plate, to do my job, to check off that I've accomplished it. Can anyone relate to that? The danger is that that as I rush through my week doing everything I've got to do, I miss 
that amazing things are happening here. All around me, God is doing amazing things. You, you know, in, in the sermon group, as, as we were meeting last week to reflect on, on last Sunday's sermon, one of the things that several people said was that they were starting to wake up to the fact that God was doing way more around them in their lives, in their workplaces, in the people around them than they even realized. And they just hadn't been noticing it, either because they were preoccupied with their own concerns and struggles, or uh, they were just moving too fast to notice. It's like they needed a new set of glasses to put on, and once they put those glasses on, they could see what was there all around them all the time, but they didn't know it. And that is that amazing things are happening here in their lives and your lives and in my life. I hope this passage this morning can help us to put on that new set of glasses. Listen to what Jesus says in this passage. Remember, he's defending himself here. He's being accused of disobeying God by working on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus say in verse 17? God, my Father, is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. You know, a lot of Jews in Jesus' day believed that after God made the world in six days and then rested on the seventh day, God just kept on resting. (laughs) His work of creating was done, and ever since, he's been enjoying his rest. And yet, God's people also had to admit that while God was resting, he wasn't totally resting. After all, every rainfall to water our crops, every baby born is a work of God. And, and in fact, those things even happen on the Sabbath, the day of rest. So God, in a sense, must still be busy seven days a week, creating, running, caring for his universe. And Jesus is picking up on that belief here, saying, My Father is always at his work to this very day. And everyone would have to agree with him there. But then Jesus goes a step further and adds, And I too am working. And notice what Jesus calls God. Not the Father, or even our Father, but my Father. My Father is working, and I am working too. And John tells us how those around him responded to this statement, verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So now Jesus has got two charges against him. One, you're disobeying God. Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath. And now two, you're making yourself equal to God? And so starting in verse 19, Jesus defends himself against this second charge now that he's making himself equal with God. Listen to what he says. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Did you hear that? These words are astounding. For one thing, because Jesus, who has just claimed that he's equal with God, now admits that he can do nothing by himself. Can you imagine? Jesus, the Son of God, can do nothing by himself. And meanwhile, I run around six days a week thinking I can do all sorts of things by myself. (laughs) 
I guess I'm just a whole lot more capable than the Son of God. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) But Jesus says that he can do only what he sees his Father doing. Jesus' approach is not, let me grab the steering wheel here and take charge and and get things done. If I were in charge around here, the world would be a better place because I know what needs doing. After all, I'm equal to God. That's not Jesus' perspective. Once for Christmas, my brother-in-law got my sister-in-law a t-shirt which said, I see stupid people on it. And and she joked that she was going to wear it to work under her blouse. (laughs) Um. And it's funny because a lot of us work with some stupid people, right? <laughs> we know better than them. We, we, we know what needs to be done. If only we were in charge. <laughs> but that's not Jesus' approach. That's not Jesus' attitude. Jesus' attitude is, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see my Father doing. First, I see what God's doing, and then I join in on that. Which, incidentally, is why we can relate to Jesus. Because theologians tell us that Jesus is not only fully God, but Jesus is also fully human. But how can Jesus be fully human if he's God, right? I mean, God knows everything. God is is all-powerful. If Jesus knows everything and is all-powerful, how can he really live a fully human life? How can he relate to you and me and what we go through? If Jesus knows everything and is all-powerful, what does he really know of, of weakness and limitation like we know about weakness and limitation? Answer? Jesus gave up the right to draw on his knowledge. Jesus gave up the prerogative to exercise his power so that he could relate to us. Jesus chose not to know whatever he wanted or to do whatever he wanted. Jesus chose to be fully human, weak and limited like you and me. That was the choice Jesus made, and that's why he says here, I can do nothing on my own. I I can only do what I see my father doing. Jesus did nothing on his own. Jesus only knew what the Father showed him, and he only did what he saw God already doing. What amazing submission. What amazing humility. That's why Jesus is one of us. That's why he, or we can relate to him, and why his example is one that we can emulate. But too often, I know I don't emulate Jesus' example. The way I live my Christian, my, my human life too often is, is that I think I can get it done by myself without God's help. Do you, do you see how different this is from how Jesus lived his human life? Jesus goes through his day looking for what the Father is doing and joining into that. Even though he's equal to God, Jesus goes about his day submitting to the will of God, doing only what he sees that God is already doing, seeking to be in step with, in concert with what God is doing. Listen to how Jesus puts it in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. 
the image here is, is of a healthy father-son relationship. Back at that time, it was normal for, for a son to, to grow up and take up the trade of the father. Was the father a carpenter? Then the son would, would learn to be a carpenter. Did the father have a fishing business? Well, then the son would learn that business. Every day, the son would be, in a sense, an apprentice to the father, learning from the father how to clean a net, how to mend a sail, where and when the, the big fish were biting, and how to get the best price at market. Because the father loves the son and shows him all he does. The father delights to show the son, to teach the son, to have the son involved in what is important to the father. That's the sort of relationship Jesus has with his heavenly father. Though he's equal to God, he submits himself to God and learns from his father all that the father is doing. And then we come to the amazing line at the end of verse 20. Yes, and he, the father, will show the son greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Greater works than these? This is John chapter 5. We've already had four chapters. Jesus has already healed a man in an instant who was paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus has already turned water into gallons of the choicest wine. Jesus has already miraculously seen a guy named Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree, which evidently was something that no one but Nathaniel could have known because Nathaniel is blown away that Jesus knows it. Jesus has already miraculously known that a Samaritan woman he's just met had five husbands. And he so impacted her that as a result of her story, her testimony, half of her village has believed in Jesus. Jesus has already gained and baptized more disciples than John the Baptist. And we know that the crowds came out to John. These were all things that the Father was doing, that Jesus had joined in on. And now Jesus says, the Father is going to do even greater works than these so that the Jews of Jesus' day will be even more amazed. I told you amazing things are happening here. But that was a long time ago. Are amazing things still happening today? Really? I mean, let me play devil's advocate. Find that Jesus said that God would show him greater works than these so that those in Jesus' day would be amazed. But that was when Jesus was physically walking on the earth. What about today? Well, did you catch that phrase, even greater works than these? If you know John's gospel, then that phrase might ring a bell because later Jesus picks up that phrase again. In John 14, 12, Jesus says to his disciples, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Did you catch that? Jesus says that after he dies and rises and ascends back to the Father, those who believe in him will do the works he has been doing, and even greater works than these. What an incredible statement. 
And do you know what it means? It means that amazing things are still happening here. Why? Because the Father is still working. And the Father sent the Son to join in that work. And because the Father loves the Son, He shows Him everything, or He showed Him everything that He did. But then when it came time for the Son to return to the Father, the Son tells those who believe in Him in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, tag, you're it now. (laughs) Now you will do the works I have been doing and even greater works than these. How can that be, Jesus? (laughs) How can we do the amazing things you did? Simple, Jesus said, or says, my father is still working, and I have now made you to be his children. So just follow my example, like father, like son and daughter. The father loves me and shows me what he was doing, showed me what he was doing. And the father loves you and wants to show you what he is doing too. He wants to teach you, to apprentice you. He wants you to see, he wants you to participate in what's important to him. I did nothing on my own. I only did what I saw my father doing. And now I am sending you to do the same. Amazing things are still happening here. Go be a part of it. So what is the Father doing today that we can join in on? I've been trying to ask myself this question and and to grow in this perspective over the past half dozen years or so. And, And what I've found is that, at least for me, this is a process of slow incremental change. Um, I remember all the way back to being a teacher in Budapest in my 20s. And, and I remember hearing about Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God, and how uh, this guy, Brother Lawrence, had learned to, to stay aware of, of God and God's presence all through the day, and to commune with him all day long. But what I'd find is that, that I'd think about God in the morning, and, and then I'd go off to school to teach, and the, the whole day would be a blur, and, and the next time I thought about God, it would be on my way home at night. <laughs> And here I was wanting to be a blessing to and to minister to my students, but, but how could I do that when the whole time I was with them, I wasn't even aware of God at all, which left me too often trying to minister to them in my own strength. Well, over the years, I, I've slowly gotten better at noticing what God is doing. Uh, one way I've been doing this recently is asking God a few simple questions each morning, like, uh, Father, what are we doing today, you and me? And, Father, is there anyone I need to reach out to that isn't already on my to-do list for the day? And, Father, what do I need to realize today that I don't realize? And sometimes things have come to mind. God has given me answers to these questions, and and sometimes not. But the point is, I'm learning to ask, I'm, I'm learning to listen, I'm learning to be attentive. I've also taken prayer walks through my neighborhood and and just asked God, God, what are you doing here? What what does it look like for your kingdom to come in this neighborhood? What's really going on behind closed doors in in all of these houses and how are you at work in them? 
Also, when I, when I have conversations with people, um, I, I'm learning to think less about what I want to say next and to just listen to the other person and also at the same time to listen to God and, and what the Father might be saying to that person or, or might already be doing in that person's life. And little by little, I'm developing a new set of eyes and ears to notice what God is doing. And in the process, I'm getting more chances to participate in the amazing things that are happening here. I'll give you just one tiny example. In the summer, I'm part of a softball team that plays in the Austin Rec League. It's, um, it's a chance to have some fun, to play a sport that I love, to get some exercise, and also to get to know and to be with some guys who aren't church folks. Um, but I was pretty frustrated this past summer because I, I'd been getting to know these guys over a couple years, but this past year, the makeup of the team just about turned over during the season. And, and not only were we losing most of our games, but, but I felt like there were all these new guys I didn't know that, that I, I, after I'd built relationships with these other guys. And all some of them wanted to talk about was their fantasy baseball teams, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> and, and so I wasn't having any opportunities to notice or to participate in anything God was doing in these guys' lives. I felt like an outsider looking in. But as I was praying about this, one of the guys on the team who hadn't been around much lately came to my mind. And um, he'd been on the team for a few years. I knew him better than, than most of the other guys at this point. And, and this guy is a talker. He's, uh, he, he's, he'd often steer the conversation of the team in the dugout or if we were hanging out afterwards. He'd steer it in, in, in whatever direction it was going to go. And often it was not a positive direction. Um, but anyway, over the course of a few weeks, this guy kept coming to mind. And, and I didn't know why. I hadn't seen him lately. He'd missed a bunch of games, but that wasn't unusual, like I said, because the, the team kind of turned over. And a lot of the old guys were hardly showing up anymore. Well, finally, it dawned on me, I wonder if God's putting this guy on my mind. Um, so I started praying for him. And also... I, because I sensed maybe God was putting him on my mind, I dug out his email and I just sent him an email. This was right at the end of the season, and here's what I wrote. So the season's over, and we improved over last year with three wins. <laughs> uh, wanted to let you know that for some reason, you keep coming to mind this past month or so, not in a weird way. <laughs> That's his kind of humor. Uh, when this happens to me, I just figure I'm supposed to pray for that person, so I've been doing that for you. Just wanted to let you know, man. Hope you have a good summer. Nothing fancy, right? I was just trying to test out what God might be doing, and, and here's how he responded. Thanks for the thoughts and prayers, Dick. I hope I don't need them, but they can only help. I feel bad about not being there for the end, but things got real busy at work, and I ended up coaching my son's travel team Thanks again. It means a lot. Have a great summer, and I will see you next year. Are amazing things happening here? In this case, I don't know yet. But, but I'm trying to pay attention. I'm trying to be available for when they do. And I encourage you to do the same, to develop eyes to see, ears to hear what the Father is doing around you. So how? How do you respond? Well, maybe like I did, you need to start... <laughs> by developing new eyes and ears. I'd encourage you to start by, 
by asking what's one daily rhythm or predictable pattern that you could put into place to try to be more aware and to notice better. Maybe it's to put a, a, a card on your bathroom mirror or on, on your car dashboard which says, watch out, amazing things are happening here. Um, or maybe it's a daily prayer like I prayed. Or, or maybe it's at lunch to stop and ask, is God doing anything around me today? Or maybe you're already aware of a situation where God is at work and you need the courage to step into it. You need to realize that, that God is at work and he's inviting you in. I find that I have a lot more courage to step into situations when I realize that God may already be at work there and that amazing things are happening there. Let's pray. Jesus, we hear about the amazing things that you did during your earthly life, and you left an example to follow. And then we read about the apostles, Peter and James and John, and the amazing things that they did. And we read stories of far-off places, um, Hudson Taylors and um, other famous missionaries, and the amazing things that you used them to do. We read our own history, the amazing things that you did during the first and second great awakenings in this country. And some of us have experienced and we've heard stories of things you've done today very close to us. And yet, God, I sense that if we had more faith, if we had eyes to see, um, we would experience even more amazing things than we have experienced. And it's not that we're going after the wow factor, but it's that we love you and we want to participate in what you're doing, to be a part of it and to be used by you. So I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we'll have a chance to participate in what you're doing. Amen.